What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. No will today. He is traveling for his day job, but we have a fully loaded week 11 slate that I'm going to break down. Plus, Matt Hayes is going to join us in a bit. A lot of interesting storylines in the coaching world that we dig into. This is a great time of year for that kind of uh, getting towards that hot seat talk with some and coordinator openings that we discussed. So uh, a lot of great discussion about that. And then I'm going to end with some lad of the week. But first, a little little playoff question that, that I have. The second playoff rankings, there were no surprises in the top 10 for me. If I come out with a ranking on Tuesday morning that is exactly right, and I just do the top 10, I don't do the full top, top 25, I'm not a sicko. But if I can accurately predict the top 10, that's usually a sign that it's a pretty boring ranking if we're being 100% honest. And I don't do that very often, but this was one of those times. And I say that not to pat myself on the back, but it was more of a ranking in which hypotheticals surfaced. And there were a few of those. The most interesting hypothetical that's come up is between the one loss teams at six through eight with Oregon, Texas, and Bama. Those teams all stood pat despite the fact that Bama beat LSU and this was something that, that Greg McElroy brought up if you watch the ranking show. It is interesting that Bama beat a top 15 LSU team and did not move at all. And it is very much log jammed by that Texas loss. I think everybody kind of understands that at this point of the season. And meanwhile, Oregon, as Greg brought up, is a team that has one win against a power five team with a winning record. And it is considered the top one loss team. Had Greg on the show. I'm like 90% sure that he got that stat from me. That might have been a McElroy and Kublik discussion uh, that I might have missed on Tuesday because I usually tweet those out. I have my week- weekly metrics that I break down, wherein you know I, I talk about or I, I break down the the scoring margin against Power Five competition. I, I make sure that I'm I'm trying to figure out what that what the the amount of wins against power five teams with a winning record looks like on a weekly basis, because those things are really fluid and resumes get updated and they change. And there obviously are metrics that favor Oregon. One of those being the power five margin averages 23.7 for the ducks. And among the contenders, Michigan is the only one that's better than that. So that's the good news for, for Oregon and whatever eye test that we want to get into. But, you know, you also heard McElroy say that Alabama is not in total control of its path to the playoff and how the ranking staying where it did at number eight, still behind Texas is quote unsettling because there's probably like a 95% chance that Bama gets in if it wins out and not a hundred percent based on what McElroy said on Tuesday night, the doomsday scenario that I've seen thrown out there. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen it thrown out there. Maybe you haven't, but this is essentially it. Undefeated Big Ten champ, undefeated Florida State, undefeated Washington, or one loss Pac-12 champ Oregon, who, again, is currently ranked ahead of Bama, one loss Texas, 12-1 and beats Georgia in the SEC championship, beats undefeated Georgia. Does the SEC get left out in that world? I don't believe the SEC gets left out. I don't. And I'm not just saying this to make people feel better. I just don't believe the SEC gets left out. And I know I have said that if there are teams that have the same number of losses, a head-to-head has to be the thing that breaks the tie. So I totally get that. And I am going to sound like I am contradicting what I have said. Okay. I'm going to make one exception to that. 
I'm going to make one exception, and I think it's worthy. If Bama goes 9-0 and against SEC competition, including a neutral site win against the two-time defending champs who would be rocking, oh, let me do some quick math, a 29-game winning streak, that team's not getting left out. It's not getting left out. Sorry, Texas. That win is not... It's not at the same level as Bama beating a two-loss LSU team at home, okay? I, I, like, I, I get it, okay? I fully get it. Beating Georgia at a neutral site would be the thing that could put Alabama over that head-to-head disadvantage with Texas, okay? It, it could. That, that is my belief. I don't know that for a fact. I don't know that. If Bama earns that 11th consecutive win since Texas— I believe the selection committee would give them the, the benefit of the doubt over a one-loss Texas team who beat them by double digits in Tuscaloosa. That would upset a lot of people, and I'm fully aware of that. Okay, It would not upset me because of the very high regard that I and many others who have been paying attention to this sport hold a Georgia victory in. You cannot have a better win than Georgia neutral site, Georgia and Athens, obviously, but doing what they have done while this is supposed to be a year-to-year ranking and we're not supposed to factor in previous history, you cannot tell me that that isn't part of the equation for Georgia and the way that they are respected. Is that scenario going to play out? No way. There's no way. I would love to see the parlay odds on that. Maybe there's a, a sports book out there that has already broken this down, but you would have to have an undefeated Big Ten champ, undefeated Florida State, undefeated Washington, Texas running the table and one loss Bama beating undefeated Georgia in the SEC championship. I'm going to say though, at, like at best, that's 30 to one at best. It's probably even more. It's probably the path to that is probably even tougher than 30 to one. Um, but it is an interesting hypothetical because it's about the only thing in theory that can stand in the way of the SEC making sure that it has at least one team in the college football playoff in the last and final year of this four-team field. I still believe, and I come back to this, the conference who had its champion play for a national title in 17 consecutive years is going to get that chance. And yeah, it is 17 consecutive years because even though Bama lost to Ohio State in semifinal in 2014, it still had a chance to play for a national title by virtue of making the playoff. So that was about it. That was the only real thing I came back to and said, hmm, I wonder if this is actually worth discussing and worth kind of seeing where people stand on this polarizing topic that is definitely not going to play out in the way that we're talking about right now. Speaking of Bama, let's start with this week 11 slate. Bama's a 10 and a half point favorite on the road against Kentucky. The over-under I have 0.5 Kentucky second half touchdowns. That is what Alabama is allowing on average in SEC games. 0.5 second half touchdowns. Pretty good. Six second halves that they have played against SEC teams, four touchdowns allowed. It's kind of wild to think that two of them were by a Dan Enos-led offense. Dan Enos and Kevin Barbet are responsible for three of the four second half touchdowns against Alabama and SEC play. The question is whether or not my doppelganger will join that group. Can Liam Cohen get this Kentucky offense going in the second half, which has just been such a tough thing to do against the Alabama defense lost in the shuffle. All the talk about Jalen Milrose improvements, urban Meyer going on on three and saying that this guy is like 
Percy Harvin or Reggie Bush. I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, lost in the shuffle of all of the Jalen Miller conversation is that this Alabama defense has proven to be really good at making whatever those adjustments are at halftime. And Saban was kind of joking about that on the SEC teleconference and talking about Kevin Steele, a mild-mannered guy who will occasionally rip into some people. And whatever he's doing, it's working. And we're not talking about whether or not he's calling plays anymore like we were earlier in the season. It's probably uh, – look, there's – I think there's a there's a chance, a very good chance that we see Alabama continue that trend. That's not really breaking any news. 5.8 points allowed per second half in SEC play. That's really good. Like awesome. Really bad is Kentucky's offense in the second half. Vandy is the only SEC game that Kentucky's offense scored multiple touchdowns in the second half. So what does all that mean? It means that if you're Kentucky, that first quarter is really important. You need a Florida-like first quarter against a team that is a whole lot better than Florida. It's pretty simple. Even that probably won't be enough against an Alabama team that, again, as we bring up, they've trailed at halftime four times this year. It's a Saban-era record. They are 3-1 and one in those games. Alabama's defensive front. It has an advantage against Kentucky's offensive line that much, but we know that's not breaking any news. They've been better up front, better than last year, I should say. But even last week, that group kind of struggled to protect Devin Leary after it had done a really, really good job a week earlier against Tennessee. So it's been a bit of a week-to-week kind of deal for Kentucky on that big blue wall. Mark Stoops said, yeah, got to clean that up. Cleaning it up, it will not be easy against Alabama. And we all know that Dallas Turner doesn't like to keep it clean. I'm just kidding. I just, sorry, had to. I just, I, by the way, I love T-Bob's take on that. I, I give T-Bob a lot of crap just because it's fun too, because he takes it well. But I thought his take on that was really accurate coming from an, from an LSU fan. He's right in that no great player approaches the sport with the caution that we on the outside think that they should. And that hit on Jaden Daniels. Um, a lot of discussion has has come about in the the, the weeks since the, the few days since it happened, obviously. Um, and look, there are a lot of people who are going to forever label Dallas Turner as a dirty player. Um, and they're going to point to what we talked about on Sunday with Jackson Dart and even knocking Quinn Ewers out and the hit that, uh, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily dirty. But obviously, when you have a history like this with quarterbacks, it's going to be talked about. Whatever the case, I expect Dallas Turner. I expect Chris Braswell to make their presence felt in Lexington. That is the biggest area of concern for Kentucky because while Alabama has not been some top 10 run defense, it's not vintage in that way. You're not like, oh my God, are we going to get to 100 yards against Bama? Remember when we used to say that? I do think those third and longs will present themselves often. And between the protection issues or Kentucky's receivers trying to get open on Alabama's corners, I think this could be a long day for the Kentucky offense. If you're wondering also why this feels like a weird game, it's because it is. It really is. Bama hasn't played a noon game on the road since last year's Texas game. That was a big noon game. Also, first road noon game in SEC play since 2020 at Arkansas. Tough break for Kentucky. I'm sure they wish that one was being played at night. Then again, they lost at home at night to Mizzou. They lost at home at night to Tennessee. And they played pretty well at noon against Florida. So who knows? Maybe that's going to be exactly what the doctor ordered for the Cats. Probably not. Um, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Kentucky. I'm going to say, though, 
that Kentucky does cover. I'm going to say that Bama wins by nine just because, look, in SEC play since the start of 2021, Bama has played in a one-score game in the fourth quarter a total of 17 of a possible 22 times. That's crazy. I'd suggest this one is going to be close. Non-Mississippi State teams that Alabama faces usually have a good chance of being in a game in a fourth quarter. So I'm going to say Kentucky makes it five of six this season, although Bama is able to win by two scores. It's still Bama winning 30 to 21 in this one. Okay. Game of the week, Vandy, South Carolina. Not so much. South Carolina is a 13 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have, 0.5 Juice Wells snaps. Here's my hope for this one. Here's my hope. And I shouldn't even say for this one, but just for the rest of the season as a whole with Juice Wells. I want to just see him at some point, a- any point, whether it's uh, regular season battle against Clemson, bowl game. Obviously, uh, South Carolina's got to win out to be able to make a bowl game. But at some point, I would love to be able to see Juice Wells. If you haven't been following this story, if you're not a South Carolina fan, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy was preseason all SEC. What's been going on with him? He's been out since he suffered that foot injury against Georgia week three. Beamer has sort of left the door open for his return with weekly updates that don't really sound that definitive either way because he's practicing. This week, Beamer said that there's nothing new and that he continues to be running and that, he, you know, Juice Wells wants to be able to get back. But he also added that he doesn't anticipate him playing, yet he's not ruling him out. So, I, look, I, I don't want to say that there is disagreement between what a player thinks he can do and what a player wants to do. I'm not sitting here saying that at all. That's not the case. But it does feel very much like a lot of this is up to Juice Wells being able and deciding whether or not he wants to return. and understandable okay i would totally understand that it's a three and six team he's got an nfl future he could have gone to the nfl last year i think he would have been a mid-round pick and would have been somebody that we'd be talking about like oh wow juice wells made a play today or juice wells he could definitely be making plays on sunday like there's no doubt about it in my opinion but he's got that to think about he's got a foot that he re-injured in that game against georgia he's also got another year of eligibility to come back So I don't really think this is some case where he's trying to use that four game threshold where he's trying to squeeze out an extra year of eligibility. Like he's not staying in college in the two years. I don't think that's going to happen. If anything, I wonder if he would just have the mindset of, you know what, let me put three or four games together down the stretch and looking the part before I head off to the NFL. That could be on the table too. I don't know. Okay. I'm not speaking as if I know what's exactly going on in that situation, but we do know that this has been kind of, uh, wait and see for a while. And it does appear to be wait and see still. I think there's a fear that he doesn't want to rush his return, especially if he's going to put bad film out there. Why would you want to do that? So I'm hopeful that we can see him at some point because if he's healthy, that combination of he and Leggett would be really fun to watch. With the player that Leggett has become, those two would complement each other so unbelievably well. And the way that they would be used in this Dow Loggins offense and how interchangeable they are, I think it would be worth the price of admission. But I'm not going to hold my breath on that. The good news for South Carolina is in the likely event that Juice Wells isn't playing in this game, should be fine against Vandy. Should be fine. Still got Leggett. Still got Mario Anderson, who's kind of quietly answered their, their running back needs. Should be a very favorable spot against the Vandy defense that just does not have much of a chance against any ICC competition right now. That defense can't stop a thing. And I think the Gamecocks, even in a favorable home matchup, are able to 
they're, they're still going to struggle on defense. I, I think they will. I, I think South Carolina, as great as it's been to see Spencer Rattler take these next steps, it's been equally troubling to see this defense just look awful week in, week out. The only Power 5 team that South Carolina held under 30 points this year was Georgia and Athens. So that makes no sense whatsoever. I don't think Vandy hits 30, but I think Vandy covers. I think this is some similar vibes to what Jacksonville State was. So I'm going to say that South Carolina holds on, and it's like a 35 to 28 type game. Gamecocks keep the bull eligibility hopes alive. All right, Tennessee, Mizzou, top 15 showdown, according to the college football playoff rankings. Tennessee's a one and a half point favorite. The over-under I have, 64 Tennessee points. Take the under on that. That's not a real number. That is what Josh Heupel has averaged so far against Mizzou. 66 last year, 62 the year before. Josh Heupel, former Missouri offensive coordinator. Ever since he left Missouri, nothing but top eight offenses. That's five years as a head coach. Probably not going to hit that number this year unless they have a late surge. Maybe they get another 60-point game against Mizzou. Who knows? But look, this is – here's there's a – There's a very interesting storyline with this game, even though it is a battle of two lost teams who in theory are fighting over um, second place in the East and it could be a New Year's Six Bowl elimination game. I don't think the winner of this game automatically clinches that. And there's maybe a case to be made that Tennessee could lose to Mizzou, beat Georgia, and then be a nine and three team in the New Year's Six Bowl mix. Who knows? We'll kind of wait and see how that plays out. But I think that this game could be that type of elimination game. I love that this game is going to be on CBS. I love that this is going to feel important. It's going to feel important for Mizzou. It's going to feel important for Tennessee. I I think it should. I mean, think about this. Mizzou has not been to a New Year's Six or BCS Bowl since that became a thing. And that's because when they had their great years in 2007, 2013, they went to the Cotton Bowl. It wasn't necessarily a part of those things. So it's not to say that they haven't had a year worthy, but they haven't been a part of that. And Tennessee is just trying to do that for the first time. Well, in consecutive seasons, I should say, they're just trying to get to consecutive New Year's Six Bowls for the first time in the 21st century. And I think that stuff matters. I do. Maybe maybe I'm a little bit outdated in my approach of thinking like, it means more to play in a Peach Bowl non-playoff game than it does to play in the Military Bowl. No disrespect to our troops. You get what I'm saying, okay? You just get what I'm saying. I think for very different reasons, they're still trying to show that they aren't who skeptics think they are. I think skeptics think that Mizzou, if you drop this one at home, I don't think that you will have changed as many minds as you hope because it would be losses in their three biggest games this year, LSU at Georgia and Tennessee. And yeah, that's tough with all due respect to Kansas state and Kentucky. Those are good wins, but they're not perception changing wins. And that is what Mizzou I think is still seeking to do this year and have the finish that says, Hey, we did something special here. And this wasn't just like, Oh, eight and four. And you know, we ended up playing, in a citrus bowl when we played it, you know, this team competitively. No, I think they want to do even bigger things. I think they're good enough to be able to do that. I mean, Mizzou is still just trying to win its first matchup of ranked teams in front of the home fans since 2013, Johnny Manziel. I'm going to keep bringing that up. Okay. It's a game that we just did. And it just meant more Mizzou fans. If you lose this one, I give you permission to go back into the archives, go listen to that podcast that we did a few years ago. I don't think that 
Mizzou silences the Tennessee ground game. But I do think on the road, Joe Milton gets put in some tough spots. His numbers on third and seven and longer are really troubling. Really troubling. That's not where you want him. It's almost so automatic that, like, and if I were game planning, I looked at the, I think it's less than five times that Joe Milton has attempted a pass on third and three or less. They're just like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to mess around with that. We're, we're, we're going to run the football. We're going to stick to what we do best. And that is what Tennessee does best. That's fine. Um, I, I just, I, I question how much Joe Milton has truly turned the corner because if you've turned the corner, you're making those big time plays. You're making those throws in obvious passing situations. And look, I, even though Jim Moore Jr. thought that last week was Tennessee's Super Bowl, um, I don't know that it was an indicator that they have figured out the downfield passing attack. I, sorry, I, I don't. And I don't think you can expect to throw into huge windows against a secondary that's probably better than it's gotten credit for. Very aggressive on the outside with those corners. Uh, Chris Abram Strain, who's had a really good year. Ennis Rakestraw is another guy, obviously, that that is that has had you know big moments for them. I believe that this Mizzou front seven can get some pressure on Joe Milton. And that's I don't say that lightly because I think that Tennessee offensive line is rock solid. But there that that's that to me is where this could be a little bit murky for Tennessee. Mizzou is darn good in the trenches. I don't think Tennessee overpowers them. And with Tennessee maybe unable to get to Brady Cook as often as they would like to be able to do, maybe this is a game in which those receivers in Mizzou step up. And I'm I'm going to say something that I, I don't often say after a prediction here, but I'm going to say that Mizzou wins a low-scoring game 24-21. to 21. And this is more about the defenses than it is big, huge plays from the offense like it's kind of been the last two years. Obviously, more of those plays coming from the Tennessee side. But I want a disclaimer. And there's a reason why I waited to bring this up. This prediction of Mizzou winning by three is dependent on Luther Burden playing. He got banged up against Georgia. Drink said that he is truly questionable in this game. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, if you're listening to this on Friday afternoon, we're going to have a better idea about his status. I'm recording this Wednesday afternoon. I don't have that great of a feel other than Drink is saying, look, we need to see how this goes. And on Friday, we're going to have a more definitive answer. For what it's worth, it's not like when he's – and he's been banged up two of the last three weeks, essentially. And the most recent uh, injury is, is the ankle. He tweaked it against Georgia. But, you know, it's not like his snap count has been low. He's still played at least 47 snaps each of the last three weeks. So if he's out there, think about the, the importance, even if he's more so of a decoy. And the numbers, the volume would suggest he's been more of a decoy the last three weeks. A guy who was averaging like nine catches in the first six games, and he's only averaged three in the last three. Um, when he's out there, it just forces you as a defense to do different things because of who you need to cover him in the slot. You're not sticking a linebacker on him who's going to cheat and run coverage or something like that. Like you are probably putting a smaller, shiftier defender on him, and you are putting them closer to the line of scrimmage, closer to the action, and it actually helps out Mizzou's ground game with the packages you have to play against Luther Burden. So that's where I think his impact can be felt, even if he isn't out there looking like the Luther burden that we saw in the first half of the season. So look, I think it's really important. I, I do. And I hope that he's out there because I think this is a great matchup and both of these teams at full strength could be fun to watch. And it's 
going to be kind of on the back burner compared to the other two top 15 matchups because of the the playoff implications that are associated with those. But um, I do think this ends up being a great game. And if Luther Burton is not out there, if he's not playing, I will take Tennessee by a field goal. I think I have the right to do that. Okay. I record this podcast early for you guys. Try and do what I can. But sometimes when you're recording on Wednesday as opposed to Friday afternoon, you don't have all that information. I think he makes that much of a difference for what Mizzou wants to be able to do. So if he plays, Mizzou wins by three. If he doesn't play, Tennessee wins by three. Auburn, Arkansas. Arkansas is a two and a half point favorite. The over under I have. 0.5 reminders that Hugh Freeze beat Arkansas in Fayetteville last year when he was still at Liberty. People forget that. That was also the last game that Hugh Freeze won at Liberty. They kind of choked down the stretch. Liberty this year, undefeated. Shout out friend of the program, Jamie Chadwell. Been meaning to get him back on for a little bit. Maybe we'll do that in December or sometime. But it's weird because including that game, Arkansas is two and four in their last six home games against FBS competition, the ones that we actually count. All of those games were one-score losses. Arkansas was favored in five of those six games, with the lone exception being last year on Harold Perkins Day. Brian Kelly's got clam chowder on the sideline. I don't think Arkansas's lack of home success is some byproduct of the atmosphere or anything like that. And, you know, I guess if you want, you can screen grab images of the, the fourth quarter and that final drive against Mississippi State. Look, I don't blame Arkansas fans for hitting the exits after how bad that one was to watch. But I, I think that it's just one of those things that you're just like, man, why is this this block been there in these tight home games because it wasn't even just an sec thing i mean byu they blew two leads obviously in that game early on in the year it's just been an issue it's just been an issue and it's kind of what has soured the the homecoming phase obviously of the sam Pittman era which we are well past um did arkansas turn the corner against florida so everybody wants to know or did they maybe just catch the gators at the right time coming off of the georgia game i think it could be both it can. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't want to say that. That's maybe a little bit too, too too vanilla of a take. But speaking of turning the corner, did Peyton Thorne in the Auburn passing game turn the corner? Or did it just face Mississippi State and Vandy? Maybe a little bit about there too. <laughs> maybe. I am happy that both of these excellent running backs finally look like they have their legs under them. Hunter, Rocket. They both hit the century mark last week. They were great. They were so fun to watch. And it was a reminder of why we thought so highly of these guys coming into the year. I think both of these teams would prefer to lean on their ground games more so than having their quarterbacks throw 35 passes after all the protection issues that both of these teams have had. Because I think defensively, both of these teams are capable of getting after the quarterback. So much of this game, I think, could be which defense has their legs in the fourth quarter. The offense that can have some of those long, early drives, even if they only end up with three, and, and we're talking about, oh, man, KJ took a sack, and it's it's a long field goal from Cam Little or something like that. I think that could still be beneficial to Arkansas. That could be setting yourself up really well to play a 60-minute game. Keep that in mind if you're maybe live betting on a game like this. I am going to reluctantly pick Arkansas. I am. I am not confident enough in Peyton Thorne going on the road in a real SEC road atmosphere and playing well enough to be able to make plays on the stretch. And KJ has been in these situations so many times, and I would trust him more. I think Arkansas continues to look like, do we want to say desperate? Yeah, you know what? Let's say it. Arkansas looks like a desperate team and wins a 21-17 to 17 game. 
But remember, Auburn fans, this is good news. Bowl eligibility is already clinched, okay? Bowl eligibility, you took care of that last week against Vandy. I don't care what that record says. You got win number five. No, no, no. My book, that is win number six. Shameless plug, I did a bowl or no bowl breakdown for the six SEC teams that are fighting for bowl eligibility. SaturdayDownSouth.com, go check that out. Speaking of teams fighting for bowl eligibility, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. Texas A&M is an 18 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have, three Jalen Henderson pass attempts. That could hit in a couple of ways. It could hit in a blowout, and maybe the Fresno State transfer gets some run. Given how rough it's been for Mississippi State on the offensive side of the ball, that is very much in play. Last week against Kentucky, Kentucky only scored 24 points, and that game felt like a blowout. Alternatively, Max Johnson is maybe unable to go after he was definitely banged up in the Ole Miss loss, and we could end up seeing a whole lot of Jalen Henderson in this one. For the sake of this AM offense and for the sake of my entertainment, I hope Max Johnson's out there. I really do. It's kind of wild to think about the AM quarterback situation and how many injuries they've endured. This is not me making an excuse for AM. This is just pointing out a fact. Okay. Kellen Mond was as durable as they come. That guy was always putting his body on the line in these spots and was not afraid to tuck it and run. And took a lot of hits, I, I, I thought, over the course of his career and just wouldn't miss games. And for whatever reason, that has just been something the last three years that has just resurfaced over and over again. And maybe part of it is because their offensive line hasn't been as good. That could definitely be part of it. All of those AM quarterbacks the last three years were playing with the 2020 version of that offensive line. Probably not hurt as much, but you get what I'm saying. Jimbo said early in the week that they are planning – on playing Max Johnson, but I, I don't know who knows. Like we could see jet Johnson just clean shot through the a gap on Max Johnson. And just like that, it's Jalen Henderson time. I don't think that would surprise anybody. If that does happen, all bets are off with this one. And I need some good vibes. That's what I know. They need some good vibes so badly. And I know they beat South Carolina a couple of weeks ago, but the last time AM walked off the field and probably felt truly good about a performance was week five against Arkansas. That was September. It's a long time, man. I know fall, it goes on one and a half speed, but that is a long time to go for a locker room of 18 to 22 year old kids who are hearing about how disappointing they've been. And if you struggle in this one, fans are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And say, you know what, it was the injuries. Let's let's all give them a break. No, that's that's not going to happen. Vegas is telling you as it stands right now, AM, you have enough talent to where we think that you are worthy of being a three-score favorite against a bad Mississippi State team. And look, this isn't walking off the field and feeling good isn't about necessarily covering a spread, depending on who you talk to, um, which they haven't done that in over a month either. This is just about having a comfortable victory. It is. You have a comfortable victory, you clinch bowl eligibility, and you get a little bit of that late season momentum. That is still on the table. And I think AM does that in this one. I will reluctantly say that Mike Wright, who I'm assuming is going to be the starter in this one, based on the way that Zach Arnett continues to talk about Will Rogers, doesn't sound like anything is really imminent on that front yet. Left shoulder injury that that just has been uh sidelining him for it's been a week to week sort of deal. And Again, we're not really holding our breath on him returning, but um, I'm going to say that Mike Wright struggles against that AM front, which will have Shamar Turner, despite the 
nutshot of all nutshots, no suspension for him. Did have a nice apology. It was nice to be able to kind of see that. Lane Kiffin also appreciated that, I'm sure, very much. Um, TBD on the Arkansas offensive or on the Ole Miss offensive lineman who might have to explain to a significant other, hey, kids, I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. Going to wait, wait and see how this plays out. Uh, I don't believe that AM, as bad as that defense has been at times, I don't think that they will allow Mississippi State to string together scoring drives. I don't think you can be one-dimensional against that group. Even in the games where they've struggled, you've been like, oh yeah, you've had a, you've had a pretty balanced attack and you've you've been able to stretch the field. You've kind of had a, a threat, you know, in the ground game as well. So I'm gonna say that AM clinches bowl eligibility, and this is a 35 to 10 win in which they are actually able to cover a spread. Florida, LSU. LSU's a 14 point favorite. The over-under is two and a half replays of the Dallas Turner hit on Gene Daniels. TBD on his status for this one. A lot of TBD with quarterbacks this week, man. It's that time of year. Brian Kelly said that he is day-to-day. He has made improvements. By the time people are listening to this, maybe we're going to have another update on him. I'm a bit conflicted. I I really am because I want to see Jaden Daniels play football. Okay, I just do. And as we saw last year with the Hendon Hooker thing, a late season injury can cost a Heisman candidate a chance to get to New York. It just can. I mean, it happened with Tua 2019. And even though that was not, he wasn't going to win the Heisman, you know, for losing obviously because of Joe Burrow having the year that he did, but still like, you know, a late season injury obviously cost him a chance to be able to get to New York. I also believe Jane Daniels, he has an NFL future to think about after look, he has made himself a ton of money with how good he's looked in these nine games. And the last thing that you want is some sort of lingering concussion deal in the pre-draft process, because that can mess with you in a pretty significant way. Uh, the, the concussion return, it's a non-linear progression. That's what everybody always talks about. Like you, you just don't really know with some of that stuff. So I hope that if he's going to be out there, he's going to be at a hundred percent, but you know, I, I'm conflicted because of that. And I'm, also conflicted because, look, I'm intrigued by Garrett Nussmeyer. I've been intrigued by him for a while. I don't think it's fair anymore for me to say that he is going to take the passing game to a higher level than Jaden Daniels. I'm not saying that. I'm not crazy. But do I think he would still have a really good chance of getting these receivers involved? Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. Half of Garrett Nussmeyer's touchdown passes in his career are to Malik Neighbors. Class of 2021 guys, Louisiana guys. Both kind of had to make that decision of, hey, are we going to stick with this new coaching staff? We're both in crowded position rooms, or are we going to bounce? I, they, they were able to, to stick at LSU, and I'm sure Brian Kelly is very grateful for it. In a matchup like this, Florida's defense is just begging for a break. That's, that's all they can hope for at this point. It has been even worse than Basura. The worst smelling Basura you can possibly think of That's what Florida's defense has been these last three games. Here is your stunning stat for year two of the Billy Napier era. In SEC play, Florida is allowing 6.76 yards per play. That is worst in the SEC. If you look at yards per play allowed in conference play, Florida ranks 127th out of 131 FBS teams who have a conference. Three games left for Florida all against really good offenses. If you're Florida, the best the best possible thing you can hope for in this game is a couple of miscommunications, a couple of turnovers. That's it. 
The, the problem, though, and this is why I don't really have a whole lot of faith in this Florida defense in this matchup, Florida's forced six turnovers all season. That's 129th in the country. That is startling to me. This matchup favors LSU in a big, big way, especially knowing that Florida has mostly been a team that has to play with the lead. And I realized that came back against South Carolina on the road and gave them plenty of credit for that. But I can't bring myself to have LSU cover 14. I just can't. Here's another weird stat about this one. 11 consecutive Florida LSU games have been decided by 14 points or less. Even the Joe Burrow 2019 LSU team only won by 14 points at home against Florida. A good Florida team, a very good Florida team that won a New Year's Six Bowl. But still, this game, which is one of my absolute favorites, I love this rivalry, I really do. It just always finds a way to be closer than expected. It's not throw out the record books, okay? It's not that, but... There's something to be said for this matchup and how these teams, for whatever reason, always feel like they play a fourth quarter game. So I'm going to say that Ricky Pierce, Trey Wilson, I'm going to say that they get some chunk plays on this disastrous LSU secondary. That's kind of the equalizer that Florida needs, at least to, to stay competitive in this one. I think LSU fans are left wondering why Harold Perkins isn't just constantly rushing Graham Mertz more. LSU wins. Because Jaden Daniels or no Jaden Daniels, there are enough pieces on this offense to keep that afloat. And that is what fuels them. Not the defense, but the offense in this one. So I'm going to say LSU wins 35-28. By the way, massive, massive Toby Keith game opportunity for Billy Napier. I mean, maybe his biggest yet. It, it really might be. Back in Louisiana, LSU didn't want you. You're coming off this disastrous loss to Arkansas. Just all that good good fortune you built up after South Carolina. It's kind of out the window. You're fighting for bowl eligibility. All those ingredients are there. Billy doesn't come across as like a how do you like me now type of guy. But I think if he got this one in Death Valley, I think we would very much see Billy Napier become a big Toby Keith guy. All right. Ole Miss, Georgia. Georgia's a 10.5 point favorite. The over-under I have one shot of the Alabama 2015 team picture with Kirby and Lane. We're going to get the... You know, everybody else is shadowed out, and it's just, a, a you know, the, the spotlight on those two guys are on opposite ends of the picture. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The first time that these Saban disciples are meeting, it's the type of matchup that we're going to get a lot more of in the expanded ICC instead of having a seven-year gap between these matchups. That's a good thing. I'm here for that, okay? Even though there are rivalries that I will miss, I would love to be able to see games like this more often, even though they do feel kind of unique. Georgia fans, this is exactly what you could have hoped for with the exception of Brock Bowers not being out there, at least I think. I think he's not going to be out there, right? That would just be crazy. I, and I look, seen, heard, everything. Georgia fans texted me all week. Watch, man. He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. I would love to see it. Nobody would love to see Brock Bowers out there as much as I would. And I say that without a dog in the fight, pun intended. But, man, if he comes back from that injury in like three weeks instead of the – four to six, or even the season-long timetable that some people are throwing out there. My God, just add to the legend. Um, but I'm not expecting him to be out there for this game. We'll kind of play that week to week. But Georgia fans, this is exactly what you hope for. You've got a night game, top 10 matchup, college game day in the house. For all the understandable frustration about Georgia's lack of premier home games in Athens the last few years, this one moves the needle. This one's great. 
Plus, you've got Ole Miss coming in with one loss. It is a huge opportunity for Georgia to be able to beat a top 15 opponent in consecutive weeks. I say that from, from the outside looking in. At the same time, and I think Georgia fans, if you gave them a little bit of truth serum this week, they would tell you this as well. There is a be careful what you wish for element to this game and what Ole Miss's identity is. Ole Miss, we know, is dynamic on offense. Georgia fans, if you didn't see what a healthy Trey Harris did to AM last week, go check that out or don't because you'll be like, oh my God, this guy's terrifying. I would imagine we're going to see a lot of Lassiter on him, but you know, that guy, <laughs> you can cover him <laughs> every which way and he still might find a way to go up and make some plays. If you haven't seen what a healthy Quinchon Judkins has been up to, go check that out too. That guy is back to looking like his freshman self, and that is a fun, fun sight. Friend of the program, Brent Rollins, had this stat from PFF. Missed tackles forced this season. Judkins, Bentley, Dart, they have combined for 83. Compare that to what I would consider to be a good Georgia running game. It's not a vintage Georgia running game, but a good one. They only have 57 forced missed tackles, and that is between all of those running backs and quarterbacks. Mm, not great. Jamon Dumas Johnson out indefinitely, really bad timing. And I know like this Georgia team, it embodies next man up better than anybody in college football. But I do think this is one of those games in which you're like, crap, th th this is an all hands on deck type effort to be able to tackle these Ole Miss skill players in space. They are that good. This is the best offense that Georgia has faced this year. I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, man, in SEC play, Tennessee last year, obviously, that's the one that comes to mind, of course, because they're the number one offense in the country. They finished as the number one offense in the country, despite how bad that game was for the Vols offense in Athens last year, which is just a testament to Tennessee that, and a testament to Georgia's defense that they were that good on that day, and Tennessee still put up those kind of numbers season long. But you know, I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, man. They haven't had a ton of these elite offenses that they've had to face in the regular season. Now they've more than held their own in the postseason, but this will be a, a different kind of challenge. And part of that is because you look around the SEC East and there hasn't really been a ton of prolific offenses year to year. Now Hypo has certainly changed that conversation, but if you look at kind of, you know, Florida, I guess, you know, first part of first part of the Mullen era with some of that, but you know, this, this is going to be a unique challenge with what they have been able to do well. And I think this is the best offense that Georgia has faced this year. I say that as a Mizzou respecter, very much a Mizzou respecter. Mizzou's the only top 40 offense that Georgia's faced this season. I think that we're kind of deep enough into the season where that number is actually fair. And you can't just say, well, are they not a top 40 offense because they face Georgia? Yeah. If we're having that conversation after four games, okay, that, I'll give you that one. But Nine games into the season, I don't really think you can say that. Ole Miss can test Georgia's defense, and I think they will test Georgia's defense. To contain Ole Miss offensively is no small feat, and I know Alabama did it. That was also with Judkins not really being in full form yet, and Trey Harris was out for that one too. So not taking credit away from Bama. They were awesome in the second half of that game and that comeback, but I think it's a different challenge for Georgia. This is going to come down to something similar that we saw in the Mizzou game. Georgia forced Brady Cook into some bad decisions, and they made some really nice adjustments on him in the second half that ultimately prevented him from being this national star on that stage as he could have been, as it looked like he might be early. 
you can force Jackson Dart into some bad decisions. You can't. And he has been, I'm going to give him credit here. He's been much better against quality foes this year. And all those splits that I used to bring up about, rec, you know, performance against FBS teams with a winning record versus uh, FBS teams without a winning record. Like he has blown that out of the water. I still believe though, that he is where Georgia can limit this old Miss offense. If he escapes the pocket and starts making plays with his legs, like we saw with Brady Cook in the first half, this turns into a 60-minute game, and Georgia's defense will have to empty the tank again. There are a lot of similarities, I think, between Mizzou and Ole Miss, and this could turn into a pretty similar game. I do. I, I really think that. But what I think is the biggest difference week to week, at least on the Georgia side, is that offensive line. They probably tell you that last week that was far from their best game. I think that week-to-week -week turnaround with Georgia's offensive line is going to be drastic. I really do. And I say that as someone who has highlighted Ole Miss's ability to get into the backfield with Piggies and Ivy. Homecoming game for Ivy, by the way, former Georgia Tech tra transfer. What I think Georgia leans on in this one is the play of that offensive line. They are going to make it their mission to keep Carson Beck clean because they've seen what he can do if he is kept clean. And at home, at night, I believe that group is firing off the ball. We've got to come back to the stat, okay? And I brought these two things up multiple times now, so I apologize. I sound like a broken record, but it's worth bringing up one more time. Georgia has not lost at home at night since 2009. Lane, as you know, came into this season having not beaten a Power 5 team who went on to win nine regular season games since 2011. And I think that will be win number two this year with beating LSU because I think ultimately LSU is going to go nine and three. But still, that is looming. I think Georgia wins a thriller. I do. 31-28, late field goal from Georgia takes the lead. Ole Miss has a chance to march down the field to tie or win. But a Jackson Dart sack taken prevents maybe that, that, that late rally and maybe they get to midfield and they're not able to do anything with it. I can't wait for this one. I'm really, really excited. I love that we've got multiple top 10 showdowns this weekend. Actually, three top 15 showdowns and four top 25 showdowns. It's a really, really good week. Feels like we're going to have movement in the college football playoff rankings, which we didn't last week. So week, week 11 slate is awesome. Let's actually dig into one of those, the lock of the week, one of those top 25 matchups. We're on fire. We are. And look, I try not to pat myself on the back too much on these airwaves because I don't really think a whole lot of people care. <laughs> I don't think that you care about how great I feel about my picks. So I don't get up here and talk about every single one of them and break them down. I, it's just not always worth it. People would rather see me fail than succeed probably. But look, lock of the week, I got to be right on that. I have to. 7-3 after Clemson won outright against Notre Dame. Second consecutive week that was in which I took three points for a home dog and that team was able to win outright. So being at 7-3, and three, that means even if I lose in the final three weeks and I have a disastrous collapse, I still will finish with a winning record. Made you money. So that's good. We're playing with house money at this point. Let's go out west. Battle for America's team between Utah and Washington. I uh, I stripped the title of America's team from Utah a few weeks ago because I didn't really like how KG Kyle Whittingham was about the Cam Rising injury. Not a fan. We need transparency. 
I actually gave that title to Washington, who was in my honorable mention when I did that pod right around 4th of July. Guess what? Utah, they are not only back in the conversation because they've got a pig farmer at quarterback who is balling right now, but they can earn it back. They can earn the title of Connor's America's team if they can just cover plus nine and a half. They're my lock of the week. Utah plus nine and a half. Washington's been playing with fire a little bit more than people realize. I don't know if it's because it's Pac-12 after dark. People haven't paid attention as much, but five consecutive games decided by 10 points or less. I think Utah makes it six. I think Utah covers plus nine and a half. All right, let's kick it to Matt Hayes. Dug into a ton of storylines involving some potential coaches on the move and a few other things. So here's Matt. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Matt Hayes. Matt, let's start with an opportunity for me to dunk on you. Um, the secondary. Right out, of the game, man. right out of the game. Let's do it. Come on. You knew this was coming. You had to know. Um, the last time we talked, at least on, on my show, we were talking national championship predictions and you threw out LSU. And I said, you know what? I'm a little bit worried. The, the secondary that I warned you about, it has been a total disaster. Uh, it has stood in the way of a national championship parade for LSU. Uh, each day I've been waking up just hoping for a text from 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 you that I never get that I was just going to read, Connor, you know what? You were right. It still hasn't come. Would you like to use this forum to just pat me on the back or smash yourself in the head with an egg or something? Well, I'm not going to smash myself in the head with the egg, but yeah, I mean, you were right. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I assumed and it's probably not smart in such a tenuous situation that the transfer portal is that LSU kind of got the necessary pieces on defense to help itself. Um, but again, it's the transfer portal, man. There is one of two reasons those guys are in there. They're not good enough at their other school and they weren't playing or they're trying to get to a better school and win a championship, get a higher profile and get more NIL money. And it's a crapshoot whenever you take players from the, from the transfer portal. There are schools that have really recruited and understand what players are in there and why. And there are others who haven't. Florida State's done a great job of that. Ole Miss has done a great job. How many people knew of Trey Harris? You know, I mean, I know Oklahoma was also recruiting it, but Trey Harris was not a big name in the portal. Look what he's doing right now at Ole Miss. Trey Harris is going to be a probably a day two NFL draft pick. So, I mean, I, I think you, you, you have to understand who's in the portal, why they're in the portal, what they're all about. Do they have any, you know, what's their upside? And I think LSU, while they hit the previous year, you know, you have problems this year. And I, I think that, look, that defense is not that good. I mean, let's be honest. Um, not even close to where it needs to be to win an SEC championship, much less get in the, in the playoff. You know, we should have seen, first of all, week one, we should have seen from what Florida State did to it. Um, offensively wow Jaden Daniels whoo that dude in two years has gone from literally just a guy to a guy who's going to be picked in the first round of the NFL draft he's made a remarkable turnaround in two years the way he throws the ball um, the way he throws with accuracy on time the way he sees the field the way he can hurt a defense by the way he moves in the pocket and scrambles and runs and he's so fast man so you see how I'm backing into my LSU pick, how it would have been good had one of those things. That's kind of where it is. But, yeah, it's you were right. You were 100% right, and I was wrong. Is that yeah. it? Is that yeah. 
Like you're getting basically what everybody on Twitter, you should say this, Hayes. What about what I said? You know, you're getting what everyone else on Twitter typically doesn't get anymore, or X, whatever we're calling it now. Look, if you had told me when we when we last talked that Jaden Daniels was going to be this player, Malik Neighbors was going to be heading toward a Bolitnikoff, Brian Thomas was Brian going Thomas. to be Brian yeah. Thomas is awesome. And yeah. and Logan Diggs has been, you talk about the portal and, and, and proper use of it. Logan Diggs has been a revelation. This offensive line is so freaking good. And Harold Perkins is healthy. Mason Smith is healthy. And if you told me all of these things, I would have probably agreed with you and said, you know what? Yeah, like I think LSU could be making that type of run. And instead, you know, it's just a reminder of how complete of a team you need to be. And you could argue that this is Brian Kelly's most talented team that he's ever had. And it's that in itself is frustrating that he's not getting to this level. It's weird to think that the 14 playoff is going to end without Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, perhaps James Franklin. We'll see kind of TBD on that. Maybe even Harbaugh as part of that conversation, TBD on that as well. Those guys having never won a playoff game in the 14 playoff era. Do you find yourself looking at the 12 team bracket, which I saw the Ross Dellinger tweet and I'm like, Oh man, like that looks really fun. Cause it's all zero and one loss teams. But do you find yourself looking at that going oh man it'd be great because this time of year the discussions would be all over the place the debates would be incredible or are you kind of sad that a year like this that has great national balance that's going to have a fun race to get to four is going to be the last of its kind so we had this argument on on uh, my radio show about three or four days ago and it was heated like heated heated Ooh, um, who is who's most heated about it uh, it was actually the producer who was heated about he wanted he he wanted four, but he's also a guy who wants the BCS. Okay, he believes that you know the more is worse, less is better, and there are a lot of guys out there. My buddy Barrett Salee is also one of those guys who love the BCS, would rather have it the BCS. So um, I I am a guy who thinks that these crazy and passionate arguments we're having about four is going to be the same thing for twelve. And I also keep saying this, and and I don't know why I don't know why folks don't look at the situation in the format and think, okay, yeah, you're probably right. When you the more games you have, the more chance you have for somebody to oh, he twisted his knee, he can't play, and what if it's a quarterback, or he gets dinged, he's got a concussion, he can't play next week, and what if it's Jaden Daniels who can't play next week, okay, or or someone like Jaden Daniels who is everything to an offense. So people keep saying, well, there's not going to be no upsets. It's going to be the same people. That's not true. It's just not true. There will be times when crazy things happen because teams go into a game and somehow, for some reason, they've turned the ball over three or four times or a quarterback gets hurt or a main player on offense gets hurt or, or, a, or a difference maker on defense gets hurt and suddenly they can't stop anybody. So I, I think the more games you have in that playoff format where it's winner go home and, and it's everything. You can win a championship, the better the playoff gets. I also think getting to that playoff doesn't minimize the regular season, which everybody says, oh, now the college football regular season, which was everything, it was one win and go home. Now it means nothing. No, that's not true. Because right now you probably have Connor. Let's be honest. There are maybe eight or nine teams that can get in that Final Four right now. Maybe 10, Okay. You could get the 10 with Penn State, but Penn State's going to need some tiebreaker help. And by the way, Penn State, we have no idea what's going on in the West Division, the Big Ten. Okay, none of us do. But if Penn State wins Saturday, they have a chance to be the representative 
in the in in the Big Ten for the Big Ten East division because I know all you need is Michigan to beat Ohio State, and you God knows that's happening. They're going to absolutely annihilate Ohio State. So, oh yeah, you wait and see what happens in that game, bro. Huh? That's going to be that's going to Harbaugh is going to have them so wired for that game. All he's going to say the entire time is, "This is the team that says you guys cheat. It's the only way you can win. That's the only way you've been good since 2020." It's true. He's going to he's going to have them so pumped for that game. They're going to absolutely destroy Ohio State. So you have that, okay? Then you have three straight. They're all tied, and Penn State's West Division opponents, okay, will have the better records than Penn State would go to the championship game. Penn State would then win the Big Ten championship, and ta-da, much like 2016, will not go to the playoff. It'll be one of those other two teams that goes to the playoff. And James Franklin will be even more pissed off. James Franklin to this day, I love James. He's a good dude. He's still pissed off about that 2016 season. Still. Still mad that they beat Ohio State, won the Big Ten, and Ohio State went, and then lost 31 nothing to Clemson. He's uh, still mad about that. Don't, don't get blown out by Michigan, and then we'll have that conversation. Don't well, get blown I, out I by Michigan for your second loss. I get uh, that, too. I get all of that, and that's what I said as well. But it doesn't mean you can't be pissed about it. I can tell you that. So, anyway, long story short, I think you go from 10 teams that realistically have a chance to about 40 teams that have a chance to get into the 12-team playoff. You're going to see big games everywhere, everywhere in November, not just three or four big games in November. I think that's true. I think it's fair. I do find myself feeling like, ah, crap. I don't want to get into a situation late November where Notre Dame and, and, and even LSU, I think those are two teams that have kind of played themselves out of a playoff spot. And I don't want to have these conversations of like, oh, what if these teams win their final three games? And, and sneak in. And it's like that stuff, I guess, it'll sort itself out. And if they're really good, they'll find a way to make it through the playoff, you know, the 12-team playoff, and, and get to a national championship or something like that. So I get it from that standpoint. I, I think there is going to be good from it. I think that there are going to be frustrating things from it. Um, USC is another one of those teams. I had no problem with Caleb Williams crying after a devastating loss. Like, no problem whatsoever. But then I was informed, and I want you to weigh in on this, that he was devastated not just because it essentially eliminated USC from the Pac-12 title, like that's kind of what we assume by losing to, to Washington, but they, they realized that they were out of the playoff. Now, mind you, that was loss number three. In no world was that two-loss te- two USC team making the field just because it could have racked up a few nice wins down the stretch against, you know, against the likes of Washington and Oregon. Um, that, to me, was mind-boggling and then to me that's the bigger red flag about the Caleb Williams situation is that he was that like in like in USC was that like locked in laser focused thinking it still had a chance when it didn't and this was some 2017 Auburn path it wasn't who's the more disappointing team to you USC or your Bayou Bengals uh well first I want to say with, with K- Caleb hasn't publicly said anything about the crying has he uh no I don't think so I don't right. and look I, I I don't think he has well, to it was a thing with me I don't care about it. It's number one. But number two is we don't know what he's crying about. What if he had a family member pass away in the last week or the last couple of weeks? And that's what he's crying about. Fair. You know, and everybody's making such a big deal about, oh, there's no way NFL GMs could like that. Really? How about his Pat Mahomes like talent? You going to like that? Yeah. Does that work? So, I mean, the whole idea about him crying is ridiculous. You have no idea what he's crying about, what he's upset about. Just, you know, until you hear it. But again, this is just who we are right now, Connor. You know that. It's just 
Everybody jumps to to conclusions every single minute of every single day. Now, what was your question? Who was the more disappointing? <laughs> uh, don't get me started on that, man. I get so annoyed about that. Okay, um, I, I I mean, the problem I think with Lincoln, and I think Lincoln's a really good coach, maybe the best offensive coach in the country. He's a terrific quarterback's talent evaluator and developer. The guy is just really good at what he does. Um, I think at some point, this was at Oklahoma and now at USC, he has to zero in his recruiting on defense. He has to say, all right, we, it's got to start at the defensive line, and we've got to get these guys out of high school, these elite guys. If that means we have to go recruit the South, then we have to go recruit the South. <clears throat> that doesn't mean there's not – that doesn't mean that there is not a, a, a elite – defensive line players on the West Coast they could get. But they've got to get after it now. They've got to start really going after defensive players and having a significant philosophy of let's recruit from the inside out on defense because we're not going to win a national championship just by scoring 40 points a game or 50 points a game because at some point someone's either going to outscore us or someone's going to play great defense and we're done. And I think that's he has to embrace that at this point right now. Who's the bigger disappointment? Well, it has to be LSU for me because I picked LSU to win it all. So, but but USC is a close second. There's no doubt about that. I think the, the coordinator openings that are most interesting nationally, USC defensive coordinator and Iowa offensive coordinator. I mean, for very different reasons. Uh, although, you know what? Kind of similar reasons. Kind of similar reasons. Uh, just undying loyalty that has led to this place and just being made a, a mockery of. To me, for for that USC defensive coordinator job, like Tosh Lupoy is he's got to be target number one, in my opinion. And for those saying, like, why would he leave Oregon for USC? When you can offer total autonomy on that side of the ball, that's what Lincoln Riley has working in his favor. Obviously, with him working with Dan Landing at Oregon, you see the physicality that Oregon plays with. USC needs more of that as it goes to the Big Ten. Al Golden would also be an interesting one because he doesn't have total autonomy. Think about that. At Notre Dame, like Jim Jim Leonard, another obvious name, he's going to be thrown out there. But there's a wild card. What about Coach Boom? What about Will Muschamp? I know he's a Georgia guy. I get it. He's Kirby's guy. But he's at a place where Glenn Schumann, as long as he's there, Glenn Schumann's the guy. I mean, he is. And he's like, we'll, we'll TBD on the Glenn Schumann jobs conversation. But, like, and Kirby's got his hand on that defense. Lincoln Riley needs some Will Muschamp in his life. That, to me, would be, like, the ultimate, I'm going big. I don't care about regional recruiting. To, like, And he would help you recruit in the South and recruit those defensive linemen in the South as well. Right. That's the one right. that, that probably isn't on the radar that should be. So... You you always joke with me. You'll never leave the beach. Let me tell you something. Muschamp will not leave the South. No way. No way. I know Will. Um, I'm friends with Will. He's got a nice house on a lake. He's not going anywhere, man. I I think he he doesn't need it. He has the money. He's fine. I think he's secure in what he is. I mean, would he like to be a head coach again? Absolutely, he would. But. He's not going to go. He's not going to go across the country and be a defensive coordinator at USC. Now it's funny you said that because my first thought would be, all right, look at the team that plays better defense than anybody and figure out how to get someone from that staff or someone connected to that staff. And the first obvious thing is is Muschamp, but I, there's no way Will's doing that. No way. I had to throw that out there. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Why wouldn't you think that? I mean, why wouldn't anyone think that? That's a that's a natural response. Um, 
I think Tosh is a good idea. Tosh also gives you a great recruiter. Uh, I'll tell you somebody who I would look, who I would go after. I don't know that he would leave, but I would go after him. I would go after Tim Banks because mm. Tim Banks is figuring it out at Tennessee right now. They're playing much better defense. They get after the quarterback. They pressure you. Um, he's clearly been in an offense that is a lot like what Lincoln runs, so he knows the stress of, all right, they're going to go three and out real quick here. we got to get back in the field. Um, they've made huge strides since his first year there. Huge. They're, they're really good on defense right now. Um, I like Tennessee a lot. I think you could probably offer Tim Banks, you know, offer him close to 1.5, 1.7 million. He might do it. He Is might. that enough? Is that enough, though, to leave? To, I mean, we, we, don't need to get, we don't need to get started on coaches leaving Tennessee for USC. We don't need to go down that right. road. Right. I know road. that. I, I know ball <laughs> fans are probably like screaming right now. But I'm telling you, you're going to lose him eventually. That's number one. He's either going to be a head coach or he's going to go leave for a, just a boatload of money to be another guy's DC. You're going to lose Tim Banks. If not after this season, soon enough, okay? So just deal with that. He's a good coach. Um, he's a guy I would look at. You know, I, I just think you've got to look at, at where people are playing good defense and go there. The problem is with most coaches, they go to what they're most, most comfortable with, either who they know or who someone they know knows and says, yes, you got to go that guy. Uh, sometimes when you're at this point of desperation at USC, and clearly they are at this point of desperation, not just because it's USC and what they've done with Lincoln on defense, but what happened at OU with Lincoln on defense, you got to go get somebody that knows defense, period. And then you got to have a, a philosophical change of we've got to recruit from the inside out on defense. We got to start on the D line and we've got to get people because we can get three or four, you know, it's a few five star recruits on offense. We can develop those guys. We know how to develop those guys, especially if we have an elite quarterback. We have to start now getting elite defensive players. And for those saying, well, why don't you just throw money at guys like Bear Alexander all the time? It's like, well, it's you can't build an entire defensive line by doing that. And Bear Alexander has, has had moments where he's been great. He's also had moments where he's been not great. And you're kind of watching some of these some of these things that he'll do in a game. And you're like, man, that's that's tough when that's your guy. That's that's supposed to be your not your unlike Mason Smith. Right. Not unlike Mason Smith right now, who, again, is coming off a knee injury. So that's probably one of the reasons why he's struggling a little bit. But same player right now. Yeah. Same player. Which is too bad because I, I I hope Mason Smith gives gives it another year in school because he has not been the player that I that I think many thought and hoped he would be. And the Makai Wingo injury has kind of magnified some of that as well. But, yeah, I mean, th th that opening is, is going to be really interesting. Um, I have I don't I haven't set up a Google alert just yet, but Glenn Schumann, the market for him. Yeah. You're more connected in these circles than I am. I, I think he gets a power five job either this cycle or next if the right opportunity doesn't come along in this cycle. If Arkansas moves on from Pittman, Schumann makes a ton of sense. If Mike Elko leaves Duke for Michigan State or something like that, Schumann would be a great fit at Duke. Like I, I think he'd be like the exact type of guy that you could plug in for Elko and and, and kind of keep things moving the same way that they built it in those first two years that he's been there. Yeah. How how respected is Glenn Schumann in those circles, and how inevitable does that feel? Uh, wildly, wildly respected. I, I also think he, you know, and I know it's a job. It's a power five job, and I I, I really respect Duke and what they've done football-wise. I don't think he'd take that Duke job. I, I think he's – Schumann now is going to be at the point where he was Kirby with with Nick. Mm. He's just going to wait for that job. When the right, right job opens, then he'll take that job. Um, it's a lot like Lanning. Yep. Manning was very patient and, and got a really good job at Oregon. So 
I, I think he's going to be patient. I don't think he's going to jump for just anything. Again, we have no idea what's going to happen with guys moving to the NFL. If something happens and Harmer goes to the NFL, then the Michigan opening starts a chain reaction of other openings. Um, there's a lot going on right now. I just don't see Glenn Schumann jumping at a job like, say, Lance Leibold goes to Michigan State. I don't see him going to Kansas. No chance. No chance. Um, so th there are jobs like that where you're kind of like, eh, it's going to have to be a good job. It definitely is going to have to be a good job for Glenn Jim. He's, I mean, think about it, Connor. He's young. He's got cha national uh, championship experience. His defenses have been fantastic. Kirby raves about him. Um, Muschamp raves about him. You've you got two, you know, a, a current head coach and a former Power 5 head coach who say he's going to be a great coach. It's, it's hard for him. It would be hard for him to, to I think, take a job where ah, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. I, I mean, not – like if something crazy happens and Dave, I'm just saying this, I'm throwing it out there. Dave Dorn leaves NC State for another job. That's a good one. I don't even think I don't think he takes the NC State job. I really mm -hmm. don't. I think he's waiting for a job. Period. A job. A good job. Lanning is helping his bank account with what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Like that. That as long as Lanning is, I mean, you know, barring some sort of disastrous end to this season, people are going to look at Lanning and. And I guarantee you that's coming up in, in those interviews with with Schumann in those conversations. What sense do you get on on Pittman? Is is the hay already in the barn, or do you think Hunter Juracek and his loyalty that he's shown to Pittman in the past? Do you think that he is making this some sort of bowl or bust scenario for him? Like, what, what's your read on this? Hunter really likes him, like really likes him. I I, I don't I don't I don't think the hay's in the barn. I mean, clearly, if something the next three the next three games. Like, if they lose to FIU at home, he's getting fired. I don't yeah. think there's any question about that. But they legitimately could win the next three games. They easily could. You know, then you're, they could beat Missouri. It's at home. Of course they could. Um, again, you're talking about a team that's lost nine one-score games in the last two years. Nine. So, you know, you one of them was when the ball bounced on top of the upright against Texas A&M. Remember that? God, the game-winning field goal literally bounced on top of the upright, which I don't think anyone in the history of the planet has ever seen, okay? So that's the kind of luck they've had there. Um, they had more luck last week against Florida when, for some reason, Florida's running the field goal team on the field when all they had to do was spike the ball. So, good, and the ball goes back five yards. The kid just barely misses the field goal. We don't need to get into that because that's just a nightmare. But – yeah, I, I, I think they're going to be patient with him. I think if he, if he gets to five and seven, I think they might stay one more year with him, depending on, depending on how bad the loss is to Missouri. I think that could be part of it. It's optics yeah. are such a big thing, man. Like That's once you see, thing, yeah. once you see that stadium emptying out, and like the Mississippi State optics were That's so the key, bad. Bro. That is key. Everybody always says it's you know it's the losses. No, it's the fan apathy when you see a game and there's twenty to thirty thousand empty seats. That does it every time. If Wisconsin with Camp Randall is still jumping around and is still full instead of emptying out in the third quarter, Paul Chris still has a job. But those optics, they can push people, even people like Barry Alvarez, to do things that make him say, no, nah, we, we need we need a new injection of life into this. The one, and, and I'll throw one more Arkansas candidate at you because look, I love Sam Pittman, had him on the show annually since he's since he's had that job and I, I think he's the most likable coach in America, and I, I find myself pulling for him. But the one that, man, if this job opens up, what about Dan Mullen? 
What about Dan Mullen, a guy that we we know and we've talked about very, very much over the last few years? Would that be a job that would make sense for both parties? And has a history of, of you know, making it work in places that it's difficult to recruit. Um, I, I actually was thinking before Neil Brown got a turnaround, I was thinking he'd be a perfect guy at West Virginia. Um, mm. But yeah, Mullen makes sense there. He absolutely does. He's a, he's a coach with SEC experience, but I think you also have to, you know, here's another thing too, real quick. It's people in Florida are so quick to blame Dan Mullen. 65 of the 85 scholarship players in that roster right now are Billy Napier players, are either high school recruits or transfer portal guys. Guys he chose to develop, to recruit and develop. Um, and they're still doing this this year. So you could say all you want about it, it's Dan Mullen's fault. At some point, you got to just suck it up and embrace the reality that he may not be a good coach, man. He may not be a good coach. So that's where you are right now with that one. But we'll we'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point later later on. But 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 yeah, I, I think I think Dan would be all right. The question with Dan is, I mean, is he going to be is he going to have that commitment to build relationships and recruit in Texas, um, recruit in Houston, recruit you know where he needs to go to get players to Arkansas. Um, he clearly wasn't committed to Florida. Come on, to recruiting. He knows that. He knows he wasn't committed to it like he should have. Now with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, you're talking about two legitimate blue bloods who recruit their asses off. And you can't, I mean, you can't be in a situation in Arkansas where you're already in the second half of the of the SEC division. If you're talking 16 teams, they're already in 9 to 16, okay? You can't fall further behind because you're not recruiting. So that's my only question. With Dan. I think Dan's a fantastic coach. The guy knows offense. He knows quarterbacks. He's a terrific quarterback developer. Um, my only question is, is he serious about recruiting? And if he is, and if you can get that from him, he can hire staff and guys around him that are serious about it. Because that, Conrad, that's already a difficult job. And it's going to be a lot more difficult when Texas and Oklahoma enter the fray. All Dan's got to do to recruit in the state of Texas is just have Dak come into every single recruiting meeting and say, "Hey, this guy, remember him? This is my guy." Uh, yeah, let me uh, let me get, let me get all these blue chip guys from from the state of Texas. Okay, Florida. Assuming that he's back, because I don't think Florida is paying thirty one point eight million dollars. Hundred percent back. He's not going anywhere. Agreed. So Billy's going to hire an OC. Like it's inevitable at this point if he doesn't hire an oc he's digging his own grave i like sorry he just is it, he needs to find his kirby more and if i'm billy i don't care about regional ties to recruiting that's what you've got that beefed up support staff for you're recruiting really really well you don't need your oc to come in and have all these great recruiting ties you've kind of taken care of that if you just get someone that can call plays and give you a consistent floor on offense which they have not had you'll be in much better shape. He's going to have to pay a premium because he's very likely going to be on every hot seat list in America, unless they win like two out of these last three and win a bowl game or something like that. But so that's not going to make it a wide open pool of candidates. I've got four candidates for you. And I want you to tell me which one of these guys you like best, or if there's somebody else that you have in mind, does that work? Sure. Let me, before you go any further, let me say this though. It's not a given. He's going to get a coordinator. God, how is it not? How is it not? He believes in what he's doing. He be, he's he has said, Connor, over and over. You hear him say, "We've seen this work. This has worked before. We know the plan. We know the process." And look, I'm with you. Here's the bottom line: 
Stubborn guys get fired. Okay. Yep. That's at the bottom line. That's where it is. Stubborn guys get fired. Um, I think he should hire an OC. I don't think he's going to. Go ahead. Let's hear you. Let's hear your suggestions. But okay, real quick on that. It's not even just what the offense is doing all the time. It's that you don't have enough time to be the CEO of your program. And you're seeing all of these issues with special teams come up and, and game management stuff that it's not going to matter how much talent you bring in those doors. If you keep doing stupid things like that to cost yourself and that to me, Oh, it's Billy, Billy's texting you right now. He's pissed. He, he heard, he heard you say something bad about it. He's like, what do you mean? I need no seed. No, I don't. I'm fine. I got this figured out. Okay. These, these four. He knows he's stubborn. I'm not, I mean, I'm not breaking any news. He knows he's stubborn. Yeah, I mean, they, they all are. Yeah. They all have egos, period. That's just the way they're – it's the way they're wired. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what makes them unique. Yeah. But at some point, you have to step back and say, all right, maybe what I'm doing is not working. And the toughest conference in conference college football where every time you get on the field, it doesn't matter what team you're playing, they can beat you. Billy, they can beat you. Guess what? Arkansas can beat you. It doesn't matter if they've lost sixth in a row, six in a row. It doesn't matter that they've looked terrible. They've got dudes on the field. They can beat you at home. <laughs> Stubborn guys get fired, okay? Period. End of discussion. And I'm not, this is not unique to Billy Napier. It's coaching in general. Stubborn guys get fired. Dan Mullen keeping Todd Grantham on his staff after having yes. the worst defense since yes, Woodrow Wilson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sean Lewis at Colorado. After the week that's been, the week plus that's been with the whole stripped up play calling duties, weird, weird after he looked like he was the best thing going for that Colorado team. Uh, that's one to keep in mind. Charlie Weiss Jr. at Ole Miss because he doesn't have total autonomy. He's got play calling duties, but Lane is, you know, what Billy should be, the CEO type role. So that would be an interesting one to follow. Somebody young that could maybe take a chance like that. And on, ironically enough, his dad had that job 12 years ago. People forget that at Florida. Um Colin Klein at Kansas State. And I know that Colin Klein, he's Kansas State through and through. Like maybe he's their coach and waiting someday, but he's only making $825,000 a year. You could triple that guy's salary with how good he is at calling plays and make a serious run at someone like that. Or I said Billy Napier needs his Kirby Moore. Just go get Kirby Moore. Just go do that because he's not making that much money at Mizzou to be able to do that job. And he's probably going to get a raise after the year that they've had, but those would be the four. That'd be like the, the target list that I would start with if I was Florida. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Sean Lewis. I mean, he, people say, wow, he left a head coaching job for Colorado. I mean, he was making like $400,000 at, at, at Kent state. That's, it's the worst paying conference in college football. So he probably tripled his salary be my guess to go be the OC at Colorado. Um, he's a great coach. He's a great offensive mind. You just look at his track record and what, what he's done offensively, the guys he's produced. Um, he, he would be a, a great hire. I, I think if you're, if you're Billy Napier, I think you've got to get somebody that knows the SEC recruiting. But so, do you, but like, that's, that's my I, point. So, so listen, listen I'll, t I'll tell you why. They need, they need like, skill players on offense beyond beyond Trey Wilson, beyond Trevor Etienne, who for some reason doesn't get carries. Um, they need more guys like that, all right? And and you need good offensive linemen. Um, my, my whole thing was, and I've been saying this since last year, go hire Jason Cannell from Toledo. Mm. He's making, I don't know, he's probably making 800000 there, 900000 whatever. Whatever, offer him $2 million. Two million a year to come be the OC. 
you turn around this offense and the next year you've got a much better chance of getting a, a power five job than you would if you would have stayed in Toledo. Um, he's a great coach. Yeah. So that, that'd be a good thing. I, I don't know if he'd do it. Um, I like your Sean Kelly idea. Another former Mac guy, obviously Charlie Weiss is a great idea. Charlie Weiss is somebody that I've thought of as well, but Charlie is, is very loyal to lane. Um, I think he likes Lane. He's one of the few guys that gets along with Lane. And I don't, I've never understood that because, look, Lane is what he is. I mean, he's I, – I have no problem with Lane. He is what he is. He's, he's a great coach. Um, he's getting better, too. Lane is not what he used to be either as far as personality-wise. He's he's calmed down a little bit. Um, Charlie Weiss would be fantastic. I agree with you. He knows the SEC. He's been around the South for a long time. He'd be a terrific recruiter. He's a young guy. Like he's 28. a young guy. Yeah. You get a 28-year-old guy in there. You start relating to these guys a little more. Um, you start relating to guys in the portal, guys in the high school. That's another thing, too, is is it's also as much about, you know, how you recruit the portal now as it is how you recruit high school high school football. And he's now been around for two years with a guy who's recruiting the portal as good or better than anybody in Lane. So he understands what, what it's going to take. I, I wouldn't mind that hire either. That's also a great offer. That's going to cost a lot of money. That's For him to leave Lane is going to – that might cost – one seven, one eight, somewhere around there a year. That's look, man. You got to be willing to pay yeah, that. If, CDB, man, cost doing business. I totally CDB cost doing business. Like especially if if Ford has invested more than sixty million dollars into the Billy Napier uh, staff with with the support staff, all those. Like if if you're talking, you close if, it all now, man. No way. Yeah. If if you're, you're squabbling over two hundred k, like come on. Yeah. 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 You're completely in now. You can't like if somebody if he's trying to hire an OC and the OC says, I want two million and a guaranteed three million deal, three year deal, which puts you in an extra six mil. And you've already invested how much in, in Billy Napier and, and this build out six mils, nothing, man. You can't say no to anybody at this point because it's about ready to crumble. Agreed. Agreed. Let's end last one for you. Let's end with a little Ole Miss Georgia prediction. You wrote about it for first and 10 lane tweeted out the column two different times. As far as I, I think that was, that was what I counted. Um, he, he's aware of the stakes. He's, he's, he understands, he understands the knock against him, the lack of, of big time marquee victories. Although I thought the LSU win earlier in the year, I, I think it's still going to be, you know, finally getting over that nine win regular season power five thing that I've brought up about a million and a half times in the pod. Mm-hmm. How do you see this playing out with Ole Miss and Georgia on Saturday night? Um, by the way, Lane tweets that out because of the headline, which is our buddy Chris Wright, who kills me week after week after week with headlines. Week after week. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying say you, your headlines are long, Matt? They're they're long. <laughs> I don't write the headlines, okay, people? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. My editor, Chris Wright, look him up on Twitter. He writes the headlines. So if you're upset at somebody, be upset at Chris Wright, all right? Um uh, I, I mean, so Georgia's had back-to-back really mentally taxing games, okay? The Florida game, it just is. It is what it is. It's a big rivalry. Um, and and that was a mentally taxing game. The Missouri game, also, you're now looking at a team that can beat you. And I think in the middle of that game, Georgia realized, holy crap, this team can beat us. So that's two in a row. Now, this is a third team. This is a team that can run the ball a lot like Missouri by the way, what about Cody Schrader? He like must be the most undervalued guy in all of college football. Shout out Truman State, man. That, that yeah, he's having a heck really? of a year. Yeah, yeah, Lee. Um, 
such a great story too, man. He always wanted to play there. Finally transferred there. Told walked on the portal. When he got in the portal, he told his coach, he told his high school coach, such a great story. Uh, I don't care who calls me. I'm going to Missouri even if I have to walk on. So it was literally just a gift to drink, whether drink liked it or not. I mean, what a player. What a story. Um, You look at Quinson Junkins and what, and he's the best back in the country, man. When he's healthy. When he's healthy. Oh, my God. He's unbelievable. So they can run the ball. Jackson Dart's playing really well, playing better than Brady Cook, who's playing really well this season. I mean, they've got legit studs on the outside. I think they can stress the Georgia defense. The only question is, can they stop them? Can they get can they get off the field and avoid those nine-play, 70-yard drives where they just suck your soul? And then you, they, you get back on an offense, and Georgia plays really well in one series, and you go three and out, and they get another nine-play, 70-yard drive. Next thing you know, you're down 14. You know what I mean? That's where you die in those games. That is where you die. Um so I think they've got to avoid that. They've got to get off the field, and they've got to avoid those long touchdown scoring, scoring drives because Georgia, at any point in the game, will throw up a three and out. You know that. You have to know that as, a, as an offensive coach. You are going to get a three and out from them. And if you do in between or after a touchdown, holy crap, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. So if they can avoid that, they can avoid going down double digits and get the game to the fourth quarter like Missouri did driving for the go-ahead score in the fourth quarter with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter and avoid that. There was so much going on in that Missouri game, man. So much going on. There were so many things that could have happened. Um, it's just that's why Georgia is so good because they deal with those situations, Connor, where there's so much crap going on, but they can zero in and say, this is what has to happen. And Missouri couldn't. And let's see if Ole Miss can. You got a score prediction? Yeah, I think Georgia wins, but I think it's going to be close. I mean, I think it's you know going to be one of those 27-20 games or 27-23, something like that. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. This is the type of game yeah, that we're going to see. I mean, honestly, I'm getting more – I'm starting to get more and more of the realization that nobody's beating Georgia. I'm starting to get to that point that it's just – they're just – you know what it is? Honestly, it's like what I said earlier. It doesn't matter the situation that comes up in a game. They deal with it. I know. They just deal with it, man. It doesn't matter if your starting middle linebacker who's an All-American goes out. Guess what? They just deal with it, man. There's no complaints. It's the next guy comes in and the next guy plays really well. And it's just that's – man, it doesn't matter if your All-American tight end goes out. I told you two weeks ago Oscar Dubb's a good player. Oscar Dubb's a pretty good player, man. Oscar Dubb's getting open. Yep. Oscar Dubb's catching balls. They don't care, man. They just deal with stuff. And I think that's what is just so good about what they do and what Kirby has built – and again, this might be the last year. This might be it. They might win three in a row, and then all of a sudden, whatever he's doing might break down a little bit because these guys are getting tired of it. But, man, he is he's really dialed in right now. That team is really dialed in right now. Carson Beck is dialed in right now. They're going to be – this is when they get hot, man. This is, you know, the previous two seasons from the cocktail party on, they were 15-1, and one, winning by an average of 23 points a game. Now they're 17-1. and one. Um, they beat Florida by 23. They beat Missouri by what it ended up being 10. Ended up beat. Yeah. Ended up being a nine point win, nine point win. So it's still two win. scores. Okay. Yeah. They just, it's what they do, man. You can't get away from it. Um, I think the Alabama game will be great. The SEC championship game will be fantastic because Alabama will be at full tilt mode by that point, And Milrow will be full of confidence. Um, that'll be a fun game. I still think Georgia wins that game. And then the only team that can beat them, I think honestly is probably Michigan. 
if Michigan just has a great game, because I think they're just so talented. Um, Ohio State probably has more talent than Michigan, but they're not going to get there because they can't beat Michigan unless something happens with the crazy last month of the season, two Big Ten teams get in. But even still, Ohio State with Kyle McCord is not beating Georgia. End of story, period. Not happening. You're really down on Ohio State. I can tell. Well, you have to have a good quarterback. That's what I'm saying. Like if Ohio State had J.J. McCarthy, I'd say Ohio State's going to win the whole thing. Because other than quarterback, they're better than anyone. Yeah, let me me see J.J. McCarthy actually have to throw the ball 35 times in a game. Let me, let me see that first. Yeah. Let me see him actually have yeah. to do it this weekend against Penn State. Let's see if that that game plan comes into comes into the fold because, you know, for all the people that are talking about J.J. McCarthy as a Heisman candidate and all this stuff, I'm like, I, look, the spy stuff, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm most skeptical of the fact that he hasn't had to put that team on his back and win a game yet. And people are like, the, anybody that wants to compare him to Stetson last year, get out of here. You can miss me with that take. And some of the things that Stetson was doing against ranked opponents that they were facing throughout the year. So, yeah, I'm not – I'm not quite there. I'm not there quite yet with JJ McCarthy. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm a little bit more of a skeptic. But this weekend can obviously change things in a hurry, um, and people are going to have all eyes on Michigan. I can't wait to see the way that this thing, this entire mess, just plays out. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm sure you'll be writing about it a ton um, as our new top columnist on Saturday tradition. Ah, essentially, that that's what you be become. A lot of Big Ten stuff. Yeah. Going in, man. You just, hey, next man up. That's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, yes, of course. Somebody goes down. Somebody goes down. The next guy goes in until they, you know, find someone else. Kirby would be proud. He'd be so oh, proud of you, Matt. Um, yeah, find Matt stuff. Saturday down south, Saturday tradition, Saturday road, Saturday out west. Um, first and 10. Great stuff. As always, you're the best, man. We'll do it again soon. All right, bro. Thank you. Lad of the week. Obvious one. Josh Dobbs. This is a, a shared lad of the week for both Will and I. We This would have been one of those weeks in which we, we came to the pod and we're like, we have the same lad of the week, don't we? Josh Dobbs is probably in the running for lad of the year, if we're being honest, despite the fact that I'm still waiting on him to text me back. Not going to hold it against him. Guy has been just a little bit busy lately. If you didn't see this, uh, traded by the Cardinals to the Vikings after the Kirk Cousins injury. The expectation was that he was going to sit for a week learn the playbook, learn the cadences, learn the names of his teammates, all those different things. But when you have a big rocket scientist brain like Josh Dobbs, that doesn't really matter. Uh, Jaron Hall, he, he started in this game and went down with a concussion. No big deal. Josh Dobbs, he's, he's fine. He's going to figure it out. They, the, the, the performance that Josh Dobbs put together was, was one of those in which you're reminded like, God, some people, some people just can rise to the occasion in such a unique way. And they just do not panic in pressure situations. And that's probably why he is as smart as he is. They beat his hometown Falcons, probably twisted the knife even more for Georgia fans who still remember Dobbsdale boot. His postgame TikTok was incredible. First of all, he had Creed blasting. I don't care what you put over Creed. You, you got Creed, take me higher. It's just higher, actually. But if you've got Creed going on, I'm sorry. That, that, that is already an elite TikTok. But... It's also become the Vikings post-game, no, not post-game, pre-game song that Kirk Cousins has kind of popularized in that locker room. So it made a lot of sense, pretty topical, but what a year. What a year for Josh Dobbs, man. Late August, he was on the Browns practice squad. Then he gets the Cardinals starting job, prevents them from being a total dumpster fire, or at least plays well enough with Kyler Murray sidelines where he gets a chance with the Vikings and they're just trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. 
And for at least a weekend, he was able to do that. That entire Vikings locker room was so fired up. I watched the entire postgame video as a Bears fan even. I'm like, you know what? This is this is awesome. Uh, I loved every second of it. You can't not root for Josh Dobbs unless you're like a Georgia Falcons fan. That's about it. But everybody else, root for Josh Dobbs. He's awesome. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the STS Pod, at Set Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.